Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. Okay, welcome back, everybody. Welcome back in the Zoom church. Hopefully, you got zapped back into the main room. We have been studying the book of Nehemiah, which is really the second half of a two-book series, Ezra and Nehemiah. They were just one big scroll in um, the original Bible that the Hebrews put together. But I've invited a, a dear friend, um, Shannon Fry. We've known each other, seems like, most of our adult lives. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, we've been <laughs> ministering together in various ways most of this time, for years and years and years. And she is a gifted Bible teacher. She's one of the blessings that God has given to us. I was at a conference all week, the Vineyard National Conference, which was outstanding, by the way. People from all over the United States came together to worship and hear some new vision and uh, meet our new um, national directors. I'll probably tell you more about that. So anyway, I said, hmm. I would rather not be thinking about preaching. I'd rather just enjoy this week and ask Shannon, would she teach? She's going to take us through Nehemiah 4 through 6. So are you ready? Are you sure? Because you need to have your hearts prepared because your hearts are soil. And what's coming is some seed planted in the soil. You want to make sure your hearts are ready for the seed. So are you ready? Help me pray for Shannon, okay? Lord, we thank you for this woman of God whom you sovereignly, by your spirit, have created to be a teacher. We thank you for placing teachers in the body of Christ, and we receive this gift that you, Holy Spirit, have appointed and put in place. We pray now that together we will grow as you speak through her what you've been imparting, and as we receive like soil seed of the word of God. We pray, God, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you change us in the hearing of the word of God. We come with faith and expectancy. Bless her and bless our ears in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. I feel built up, and I'm so grateful for that new song, Jaira. That was so awesome, and it, like, caught me off guard, the line that said, I wasn't holding you up anyway, so I can't let you down. Whoa. Talk about taking the pressure off. It was very, very wonderful to know that God's got it, and I'm already loved, and we're already loved. So it's just a joy to serve in the kingdom and and to speak to you today. Um, I wanted to first give you all a recap of where where we are right now in the book of So if you have a Bible or you have it um, on your phone, you can follow along that way. Um, Some of the the words will be up on the screen as well. But um, Ron gave us a a bit of a history lesson. We learned that after 100 years of being in captivity, first in Babylon, and then when Babylon was taken over by Persia, the Jews um, were released to come to Jerusalem and build the temple, or re, uh, clean up the temple, basically, and reestablish worship in the temple, and that's what Ezra was doing. And then um, Nehemiah, who was a servant of the king of Persia, 
um, got a burden on his heart to uh, build up the walls of Jerusalem because while even though worship was still happening in the temple, the people of Jerusalem were vulnerable to attacks because the city's walls were broken down. And so God put this burden on his heart. He prayed for months. And then God miraculously opened a door for him to be able to ask the king for permission to go rebuild the wall in Jerusalem. And not only did the king give him permission to go, he sent him with um, money and resources and material and people and security guards to go back to Jerusalem and do the work that God called him to do. And it was a, a complete miracle. The king could have killed Nehemiah. Instead, he miraculously provided for Nehemiah. So Nehemiah goes and he assesses the work that needs to be done. Um, he comes up with a strategic plan. He sets groups of people along the wall, each with unique jobs in different parts of the wall. And the work is going, and people are excited. And all the way from the lowest person to the, the richest, most noble person, each person had a place on the wall and a, a job to do. And they were encouraged. I loved how Ron said, we're encouraged when we're next to someone. We're, we're seeing the work they're doing, and we're encouraged in the work we're doing. Um, so that was pretty exciting to um, see all of the progress that had happened in the building that was happening. Um, and before I move into Nehemiah 4, I wanted to just draw the parallel of what is, what is our wall? What is our mission and our vision? And, and what are we doing here as a church and as Christians? How can we uh, draw the analogy between what Nehemiah was doing and what we're called to do? So as Christians, our calling is very clear, and, and Jesus makes it clear when he commissions the disciples, and by way of the disciples, he commissions us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is our building project as the big C, as the, the church at large. We are called to make disciples. We have been given such a gracious gift through Jesus Christ. We have received salvation. We have been reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus on the cross. We have relationship with him. We have life in him. And we want to pass that life on to others. We want to give them hope and tell them the good news that they can be reconciled to God. And so that is our great commission. And there are a variety of ways to do that. And so there, you're going to see a lot of diversity within the church, reaching out to different uh, worship styles, and there's different denominations, and there's different countries and ethnicities and stuff going on all over the world. And in their own unique way, they're fulfilling the Great Commission, and we embrace the fact that there is that great diversity in the world. But our church at Grace Vineyard also has a unique calling within that greater calling. And so we have a vision that's kind of a rephrase with a little more focus on worship. And our vision 
our preferred future is for people everywhere to know and worship God in all his glory and goodness. And Nehemiah's vision was, I want the people of God to have a safe place to worship and to be the example of God's goodness on earth to his people, to, to represent God to the world. That's what the Jewish calling was, and that was Nehemiah's preferred future, to have a safe place for the Jews to worship God and to be an example to all the world. Nehemiah's mission statement was to build the wall. Our mission statement to accomplish this vision of people everywhere knowing and worshiping God and all his glory and goodness is to build growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ and empowered to do his work. And we do that in a variety of ways. So even within our mission statement, we're not all doing the same thing. We are uh, accomplishing this mission, each in our portion of the wall, encouraged by the people that are next to us, but we're, we're doing different things. So um, there are some that are, like Michael, going out and ministering to the homeless, bringing the hope of God to them, worshiping with them. I was so touched. Michael had a story of how he went on the street and they said, do you know any Chris Tomlin songs? And they're worshiping God together out on the street. And it's so awesome. That's accomplishing the mission. There are home groups meeting where we worship God and we encourage one another and, and we um, practice the spiritual gifts and, and we're empowered and equipped in those home groups to do the work of God. We've got Lisa and Fabi working at FRC, encouraging women and children and helping them to grow and to have hope and find new life in Christ. Ultimately, that is the hope. There's a lot going on in our church, and I could name a number of areas. I mean, even Amy today up front telling us about Jehovah Jireh, our provider, and stirring us up into worship. She's working on her portion of the wall with creativity and music and song to build and grow this community of worshipers. So, so we see a lot of great stuff going on. And in Nehemiah's time, there was a lot of great building and progress going on. But unfortunately, there's always opposition when we make advances in the kingdom and we take territory that once belonged to Satan, when the prince of this world, as Jesus calls him, starts losing footing and place in the world, he will come against us. And we need to be ready for that opposition and not be surprised by it. Be aware and watchful of that opposition. And so in Nehemiah 4 through 6, we're going to take a look at what the opposition looks like we're going to look at the tactics of the enemy, and then we're look, going to look at how um, Nehemiah fights back and how he rallies the people to together, work together to fight back against the enemy and make a stand and be on guard and be ready so that the progress can continue. So just like any NFL team, if they want to win the Super Bowl, they've got to have a strong offense and a strong defense. You can't just have one 
or the other if you want to win the game. So we also need to be strong together, working together to accomplish the mission, and we need to be strong for each other in battling for each other in prayer. Thanks, Ron. <laughs> Amen. Awesome. All right, so uh, we're going to be in um, Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 at first. We're going to take a look at what the opposition looks like. Now, when Sambalat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break the down their stone wall. So you see, the, the first thing I notice in this is he is enraged. He is angry. And we need to know that we have an enemy that stands against us that is angry. And he's using that anger to make us fearful and intimidate us. And also he's mocking and deriding and saying, who do you think you are? You're weak. You can't do it. He's trying to uh, make fun of and cause us to want to stop the work. And he not only says it to us, he says it in the presence of all the people that are on his side in the spiritual realm. And um, they heap upon each other. And they're like, yeah, yeah. And so he's kind of stirring up the opposition to come against the Jews. But let's take a look at what ne how Nehemiah responds in the next few verses. He says, hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they were captives, where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not the sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you it to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall. I love it. Just short. So we just went back to work. We did it. He prayed and they went back to work. And all the wall was joined together to half its height. They got halfway there, just in the first six verses. For the people had a mind to work. And I think it's so important that we know that when we're attacked by the enemy, when those doubts come at us, when we're met with fear and intimidation, we can turn ourselves over to God and just say plainly, God, this is what's happening to me. And then entrust that God is going to take care of that opposition when we pray. And when we entrust it to God, then we can get back to work. But it's important to pray and to work. You can't just work without taking it to the Lord in prayer. And you can't just pray without doing the work. You have to do both. We need opposition, <laughs> we, we, need, we need offense, and we need defense. We need both. And we have to keep going one step in front of the other. So let's take a look at what happens next. So God, God took care of that. They got halfway there. Do you think that the enemy was happy about that? 
nope. <laughs> when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that their breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in the open places, I stationed people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember our Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So... Again, the battle is ramping up. They're trying to come in, distract, cause confusion, infiltrate the ranks. And so they ramp up their prayer. They, Nehemiah reminds them how great and awesome is the Lord. Then we can have confidence in him. But he, do, he does something practical, too. He sets a guard. And the, he says to be watchful and to be ready. And then he says, and go and fight for each other. Fight for your brothers. Fight for your wives and your sons and your daughters and your homes. We have to be diligent in prayer for each other. When we see the weak spots, when we need to be willing to say, hey, I need help. I was impressed with the persistence of the people that were vulnerable to say to Nehemiah 10 times, we need help. We're vulnerable. We're weak in this area, and Nehemiah knew to, to shore up those parts of the wall with guards and people to uh, help them fight the battles so that the attack wouldn't come to them. It's important that we support each other in the ministry, even if we're not particularly involved in one aspect or another. You might not be going regularly with Michael out on the streets and, and um preaching and giving blankets and sandwiches to the homeless, but you might need to donate blankets to support that aspect of the ministry. It's important. You might not regularly um, volunteer in Sunday school, but we might need help sometimes in a week or two to help out in that area of ministry. It might mean showing up to a home group. It might mean um, it just giving a word of encouragement to someone who's struggling. We need to stand with each other and support each other in the work that we're doing. Now let's look at verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plans, we, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half my servants worked on construction, half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held a weapon with the other. And each of the builders had the sword strapped to his side while he, was, uh, while he built. 
the man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall, far from one another, in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, and that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes, each kept his weapon at his right hand. So again, more practical strategy. Nehemiah comes up with a buddy system. He says, you know, get with someone else and one of you stand guard and one of you work and be ready to do either one and be watchful 24-7. And I think we need to be more and more aware of each other and what the other one is doing and say, hey, I'm with you in prayer. I can't tell you how many texts I got this morning saying, hey, Shannon, I'm praying for you today. And that meant so much to me, knowing that I was preparing to do this work. I need someone to be watchful and have my back in prayer. And we also need to be doing the work. And I can do the same for them, saying, hey, Michael, I'm praying for you when you go out on the streets. And I'm there for you um, while you're doing the work. We work together. And then there's Nehemiah creates like this alarm system to sound the trumpet whenever the, they see the attack coming, that we rally around people when they're vulnerable and when the attack is coming. And it's important that we all feel safe and secure enough with each other that we're willing to sound the trumpet when we say, hey, I need a hand. I need prayer. This is too much for me. And we need to be willing to, to do that and to be vulnerable and to say, hey, I need prayer and know that the body of Christ is going to rally around each other in prayer. So let's, let's do that. Paul encourages us in Colossians 4.2 to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful with thanksgiving. And then Paul goes on after that to say, pray also for me that I might be an effective minister of the gospel. Paul isn't just kind of, you know, helping these weak little people with, with uh, by saying, you know, make sure you pray all the time because you guys really need it. He's saying, I need it too. I really need this prayer. I need you to be praying for me just as I am praying for you. And to be doing that round the clock, being ready and watchful and aware when the attacks come. <laughs> Finally, um, yeah. So we need to battle together and we need to build together and be aware of the enemy's schemes. But sometimes the hindrance to wall building or to the ministry or to the mission and vision of what we're doing um, unfortunately comes from within our ranks. And so in chapter 5, we learn about a situation that was happening in Israel, in Jerusalem, and... Um, as, as I said in the beginning, they had been captive for decades. They're returning to their land. Um, things are not good. It's hard, you know, when, when you've been hit and knocked down, it's hard to build back your life. And um, 
to add insult to injury, you know, they're paying taxes on the land, so they're financially stressed, and then a famine, famine hits. So in order to feed themselves, some of the Jews have had to turn to um, sell their children into slavery. It's, it's that bad financially. And what makes it even worse is the people they sold into slavery were fellow Jews. Were, they were wealthy people who said, sure, I'll lend you the money. And then they charge interest. And then they can't pay the interest. And so they have to sell their children into slavery. And this was directly against God's law. In Leviticus 25, it says that you are not to enslave your um, fellow Jew. And you are not to put that burden upon them. It's called usury is what they were doing. Um, and allowing their neighbors to sell their children into slavery. And so there was this great injustice that was happening in Israel. And so Nehemiah hears about the, the plight of the poor. And you can imagine he was angry. And so I'm going to read from verse, uh, five, or verse 6 in chapter 5 on to see how Nehemiah is going to respond to this problem. I was very angry when I heard the outcry and these words. I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them, and I said to them, we, as far as we are able, have brought back, bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I, am, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of the money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep his promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, amen, and praise the Lord. And the people did as he promised. They promised. So this was a powerful confrontation. And what I noticed in the very beginning of that is that he took a moment to pause. He didn't immediately react. I'm sure he was extremely angry when he heard about this injustice. But he said he took counsel with himself. He took a step back and he thought for a minute, how, how Lord, am I going to handle this? And then... He took action, and he rebuked them, and he did it in a way that was transparent, that had an element of accountability. He reminded them particularly about God's law and what God was requiring of them and how they were um, running askew, afoul of the law. And then he reminded them, God sees everything. God knows what you're doing. And so when you say you're going to turn things around, you're making a promise before God. 
And so you need to remember that judgment will come from the Lord. So um, it was a powerful way to rebuke, um, and it, it, and and they would be now accountable not only to each other but to God through this process. And that's how Nehemiah dealt with this injustice, and it made a big difference. And sometimes, when there is problems within the body of Christ, and someone is doing something that puts extra burdens on another or um, hurts and hinders someone, especially those who are newer in the Lord. We need to hold each other accountable, and we need to um, remind people of what the Word of God says. But before we jump right in and and (laughs) jump down their throats, let's take a moment to take counsel with ourselves and pray to God and, and be really sure of what God is calling us to do before we just react in anger. And I appreciate that um, Nehemiah took that pause. But it is still, nevertheless, he didn't take a pause and go, yeah, I'll just let it go. Justice is important to God. He wants his people to represent him well and represent the justice that he represents. And so it's important that we are willing to make those corrections in the body of Christ. And Nehemiah was able to do this also because he had the moral authority to do it, because he himself was leading by example. He wasn't just saying, saying you should do this, but then he was somehow taking advantage of it. Nehemiah was the governor of that region. And so we're going to learn in the next few verses how he handled the, the money that came in as, as the governor of that region. He says, moreover, from the time I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now that was prepared at my expense, for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds, and every 10 days, all kinds of wine in abundance, Yet all of this I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on the people. Remember for my good, O oh my God, that all that I've done for this pe- these people. And I, I think what I'm getting out of this the most is that even though as governor he had the right to have all of that for himself, he chose to live below his means. He, in order for the kingdom work to keep happening. He was out of his abundance, was able to feed and and help those who had less so that the work can, can continue. And I think about the missionaries that we support. And, you know, I, w- I want to challenge all of us, you know, are there ways that we can live below our means in in whatever capacity you, you've earned and, and say, you know what, I, I 
I've been given a lot, and that's what my job in, entitles me to get. But I'm going to choose to live with less for myself so that I can give more to the kingdom. And so um, that's, that's how Nehemiah led. And then at the end, you know, it, it might sound funny in your ears, remember how good I am, God, was basically what he's saying. But I think he's saying that because he's saying, I'm not, I'm going to withhold my instant satisfaction to know that God is the one who rewards in the end. And so we don't live for this life today. We live for the life that is coming to us. Jesus says in John 12, 25, he says, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Yeah. <laughs> so Nehemiah, he wasn't living for himself in this life. He was entrusting himself to God to remember the work that he did so that he could um, receive that crown of life. In, in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, it really parallels what Nehemiah is saying here. Um, and this is an encouragement to anyone who's in leadership. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those who entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. Mm. I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> oh, God, help us to not live for ourselves. Mm. We know Hebrews 11.6 says, people of faith believe, you must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's the lifestyle, the attitude that we need to walk in. And that's what Nehemiah did. He lived that out. He led by example. He, he gave generously, and he did the work. He wasn't above it. He wasn't above the work. He was in there with them doing the work. So the work continued. They, they battled together. They, they worked out their internal issues. They kept building and then we get to chapter 6, and what happens in chapter 6 is that our famous opposition friends decide that, oh, he's, um, Nehemiah is getting some legitimacy here. Uh, let's appeal to his pride, maybe, and let's call him out and say, we want a meeting with you, you know, to kind of talk, negotiate a treaty or, you know, come to some agreement. They're trying to trick him so that they can kill him and meet him in a place where he's vulnerable. They, I love the name of this plane. He, they invite them to the plane of Ono, which means, oh no, do not go there. <laughs> so they invite him four times. And every time he's like, you know what? I'm busy with what God's called me to do. I, I don't need to have a conversation with you. I'm not going to acknowledge 
uh, you in this. So he writes back every time, uh, thanks but no thanks, I'm busy working, I've got a job to do, I've got a calling. So, yeah, and then he goes, the fifth time, they're like, okay, now we're annoyed. Now what we're going to do is say, oh, you think you're better than us. You're making yourself a king. Um, we're going to tell Artaxerxes that, you know, you're trying to usurp his authority and you're trying to, to subvert him. And uh, so, so they're trying, again, to put the, the fear in him uh, and make him want to come out and meet them so they won't tell on him to the king. Um, he responds to them in verse 8 of chapter 6. I, I sent to him saying, no such things as you, have, have, you say have been done, for you ha are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. So he, he dismisses them. Um, he says, you, what you're saying is wrong. And then he acknowledges, I feel a little bit weak in this situation. I'm, there's a, there is a seed of doubt that, I don't know, maybe my hands are kind of weakening. And he turns that over to God. And he says, now, God, strengthen my hands. So again, even in his weakness and his doubt, he turns back to God and says, God, strengthen my hands. He combats the enemy with a word of truth, and that is another way that we can um, come back against the opposition, just like Jesus did when he was tempted by Satan. We come back with the word of God, and we say, nope, this is the truth. This is what's real. And he says, when I am weak, then I am strong. He knows that God is the one that's going to do the work and strengthen them. And so he responds to the enemy with truth and, again, with prayer. Now, again, um, after he does this, he goes and visits someone who has the gift of prophecy, some, a Jewish person who he thinks is his friend. And this person says to him, you need to protect yourself. You need safety. You need security. So come to the temple. We'll meet in the temple, and you can be safe in the temple. But the thing that was wrong with that was that Nehemiah wasn't a Levite, and he wasn't a priest. And so he was not allowed in the temple. That would be sinful. That would be against God's commands. And so this person was trying to cause him for the sake of safety to disobey God. And Nehemiah responds to that person and says, I understood and saw that God had not sent him. And he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. For this person, per purpose, he was hired, that I should be afraid. And um, in this way, sin. So they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, oh my God, according to these things they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So, again, I mean, I remember what Ron said about I don't lead by fear and intimidation. When you hear voices that are trying to intimidate you, make you scared, and make you even do something where you're prioritizing your own personal safety over doing what God has called you to do, watch out. Those are not the voices of God. 
those are the voices of an enemy. So you need to be able to recognize that we have to stand firm against the voices that make us afraid and cause us to, to tempt us to do what we know is not right or godly. We have to remember those words of Jesus again. Whoever loves his life will lose it. Whoever seeks to save, or whoever, yeah, hates his life will gain it into eternal life. Have that eternal perspective. It's not all about safety and security. It's about following God, doing what he's called us to do. And we follow the voices that lead us in the way of God, not in the way of saving our own skin. Yeah. And so Nehemiah and the people battled together. They built together. And finally, in verse 15, the wonderful news, the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. Can you imagine? Only 52 days it took to rebuild the whole wall. And when all our enemies heard it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. God is glorified best when he uses the weak things of the world to accomplish his task. They knew when they were ridiculing the beginning, they knew the Jews were weak, and the Jews probably knew they were weak. But that is the very way that God can um, be most glorified when he uses the weak things of the world. We know that God is the one who did it. It wasn't their strong power or their many numbers of people. It was God who did it, just like when God parted the Red Sea and he defeated Pharaoh's army. You know, God said he chose those people because they were the smallest and least in the world. And God showed his greatness, and it caused the nations around, like in Jericho, Rahab said, there is great fear among our people because of you, because they heard of what God did for them. And the same thing is happening in this situation where they are seeing all that God did through their weakness and against all opposition and all the attacks, they stood firm. And in only 52 days, the wall was uh, built. And so I want to um, say to us, you might be feeling weak today, that you're not enough. You might be looking at our church going, you can't accomplish this mission statement. Look how small this church is. Look how weak this is. Look at the people here. But we are in prime, prime position for God to be absolutely glorified and blow us away with miracles. We, Grace Vineyard, are going to be an example to the whole community that God is the one who did it, that God is great. Let God be glorified through our church as we continue to battle together in prayer and build together and and set our mind to the task, and don't look back. Keep going. Keep turning to God in prayer. Keep asking each other to pray for you. Whenever there's a roadblock, keep turning to God. Keep turning to each other. Keep doing the work, and we will accomplish it, but it won't be us. It'll be obvious to everyone that God is the one who did it.
So we're going to close here, and I'll invite Amy and Jay to, to come back up. I want to remind us that our enemies, you know, I've been talking a lot about enemies and opposition and stuff today. Our enemies are not flesh and blood. They are spiritual forces. Satan does not like that his territory has been taken. Whenever any, when anyone turns to the Lord, that's a little less space for Satan to occupy. And so he's going to come against us. But I want to encourage us with the words of Paul from um, Ephesians chapter 6. Um, let's see. Here we go. Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Mm. Lord, I pray for all of us today that we would recommit ourselves to each other, to the mission that you have given to us, the part of the wall that you've given to us. Help us be diligent in the work. Help us be willing to ask for help and prayer and to look to one another for encouragement and help us rally together to each other in prayer when things are needed, when there's weak spots, God. Make us a family. Make us an army. Build your house, oh God. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the unique mission you've given us. And help us to come together, to battle together, and to build together. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.